Hey folks, welcome to the Rickistential Podcast, your absolute favorite unofficial analysis of the hit TV show, Rick and Morty. This is Brandon Saxton. And Katie Gordon. How are you doing this evening, Katie? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad at all. I'm enjoying uh, being in a blizzard. No, it's not really a blizzard, but but we, we've it's got a It's a winter little, storm. It's a winter storm. There's an official warning, um, which of course is nothing like the hurricane that's happening uh, to our friends in Florida. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that's kind of what's going on in my life. Yeah, I I being in the same city can relate to that. And to our listeners out there, this is the first time that Brandon and I have recorded an episode where we're not sitting in the same room. We're actually recording through Skype. So this is our third take. So hopefully this is the right one. We wanted to make this sound, make sure the sound was good for you all. Absolutely. That's just how much we care about delivering a high quality <laughs> podcast experience. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about four Rick and Morty episodes from season two. We're going to talk about episodes four through seven, and we've picked out some psychological and mental health themes and just some jokes that we liked from that that we're going to talk about today. And hopefully we can start right off with episode four, Total Rickall, 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 (laughs) with one of those famous Saxton summaries. Yeah, you bet. Fresh out of Wikipedia, here it comes. This is a pretty popular episode. Uh, A fun fact, I think there's actually a game based on this one, Um, like a board game or a card game. Yeah. And what's kind of fun about this episode is it's one of the real, it's got that real classic Rick and Marty humor. Um, the whole family is locked in the house and there are parasites in the house that are implanting fake memories in each of their minds. And basically every time they reminisce about the past, these aliens produce another being in the room. So eventually there are a whole bunch of people in the house with the family like the uh, Uncle Steve, uh, Cousin Nicky, Sleepy Gary, uh, Mr. Beauregard, Frankenstein's monster... Uh, a talking pencil whose name is Pen Sylvester, um, Tinkles, <laughs> the fairy lamb. So there's just a, a, a pretty hilarious cast of characters. And as it kind of goes along, what they start to realize is that the um, parasites only generate positive or pleasant memories. So the way they determine who is or isn't a parasite or a real family member is the people who they have negative memories of are the actual family members and the people who they only have positive memories of are the uh, parasites with one pretty tough exception right towards the end of the episode. Yes, that's very true. Well, thank you for that summary. I think that's that's very helpful and first thing I just wanted to ask you is the um, Mr. What was his name? Mr. Uh, put in front of me. Nope, that's okay. Uh, the uh, butler guy? Uh, Mr. Beauregard, yes. Yes. I'm wondering, this is an age thing, did you get the reference to what Mr. Beauregard was supposed to be? Um, No, I did not. There used to be a TV show called <laughs> Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> okay. And so the he, Mr. Belvedere was, I mean, it was exaggerated in this episode. So I just looked it up. It was on from 1985 to 1990. And he was an important part of the family. And he did all kinds of things for them. I mean, it wasn't like, <laughs> I mean, he wasn't one of their prom dates. <laughs> like He was maybe <laughs> prom date. Like, it didn't get to that level. But I think I think that's what they were 
they were pulling from. Sure, that so makes sense. So I was just curious about that. So it, it it is kind of interesting about this show is there are some obscure references. Obviously, there are a lot from TV and movie and things, movies and things like that. And it's it's fun to see them and think about. For me, sometimes what the writer's age ranges are based on the things that they pull from. Not that you can only watch things from a certain age, but I don't think Mr. Belvedere... Prove me wrong, listeners, if you're an avid Mr. Belvedere watcher, <laughs> but I don't think it's like been on Netflix like some of the older shows like, you know, Cheers or Frasier, for example, or Friends, where people, even if you weren't old enough at the time, kind of still are familiar with it. So Right, no. So, I, so anyway. <laughs> it was over, I mean, I missed it, so. Well, I think <laughs> you could still enjoy the episode even without that information, but it, that was an extra kind of funny thing. And of course, he's like a big hero in that, right? And does everything for them. I also liked Pencil Vester because oh, yeah. I thought there was like this therapeutic gem of Pencil Vesters where he says, everybody makes mistakes. Why do you think I have this? And points to his eraser. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just like kind of a cute thing in an otherwise really weird and often dark show. <laughs> so it was just kind of like a nice little, you know, everybody makes mistakes. That's why we're able to fix them moment. But one of the other themes that I thought that reminded me of therapy is that you see them at various times trying to reconcile their different realities and memories. And Summer and Beth, for example, have different memories of things that happened to them. And Summer has these specific memories with Tinkles. And they're trying to figure out what's true. And until Tinkles is there, they can't, they don't really see that they're both talking about reality. And so the thing I was thinking about is in therapy, we're often relying upon clients telling us their version of reality or what they paid attention to and it can be very different for different people so in therapy does it does it matter how accurate their perception is of course we're not talking about imaginary multiverses but still if you bear with me on the concept do you think it matters if they're accurately retelling their experiences i i have a two-part answer um where where in which the front end of my answer is it depends and here's what i mean by that on the one hand the reality of the experience maybe doesn't matter so much as the perception of the reality and you just have to meet people where they're at and work with them on how they're thinking or feeling or experiencing the world i think but on the other hand um for example in the past probably on this show but certainly on our flagship podcast genetic council we've talked about um, treatments like cognitive behavior therapy where a part of the treatment might involve challenging people when they're misinterpreting the reality around them so for example if someone thinks you know what well, what's the point of even making a friend or trying to make a friend no one likes me anyway no one's ever going to like me that might be the reality that they're in at that time and it's important to kind of challenge that point for them so that they can see because of some of the attentional or attributional biases that they have um, that might not be quite true and if you can get them outside of that reality or changing that reality uh, that they could have a lot more adaptive thoughts and behaviors so i don't know if that answers the question but it so sometimes the goal of therapy is to figure out like what what part of the perception might be influenced by what they're struggling with mm -hmm. like if they're feeling 
dealing with social anxiety? Are they paying special attention to any negative cue about anything that they say? And so that might actually be important to know how their reality is constructed in terms of what they're paying more attention to and how that's influenced by what they're dealing with. And then I was thinking of the other thing, sometimes when we're talking about interpersonal interactions, sometimes someone will tell tell you, I had this I was talking to my partner about this and I just said it like this and I don't know why they responded that way. And in those types of situations, it can be helpful to actually have them like, you know, tell me exactly how you said it. What was your tone of voice? Imagine there's a video recording of it. You know, what was your body language like? And so sometimes people aren't aware because they're kind of looking out from what they're doing exactly of what the reality might look to the other person and so that can be helpful too and so here again it doesn't have to be exactly right but you want to know enough just so that you can give helpful information so that their next interaction and their next perception is healthier for them Mm -hmm. basically absolutely yeah and i i think that so in that way i think that's the key and also the acceptance that different people are going to see things different ways so if you're doing couples therapy or family therapy it's about appreciating that there are going to be different perspectives and we each are going to have our own way of seeing things and and kind of working together if we're all looking at it together hopefully we can come up with a way to problem solve or to make it work better absolutely yeah that makes a lot of sense and it it fits within the the theme of the episode for sure and this would be an episode where like a lot of rick and morty um traditional therapy might fall a little bit short in trying to address or assess the reality of the situation that was happening with these parasites oh yeah i mean this is (laughs) (laughs) i i think because the reality is obviously in this one that there are there are false memories so (laughs) it's not i mean yeah that this would be a, a tough one to, to crack, but given some leeway for talking about these themes, totally. I mean, it did remind me a little bit of when we had that episode with um, Ben Ballas on Jedi Council when they were talking mm-hmm. about like how they were trying to figure out in Blade Runner like who's the real person and who's not, and, and so the fact, like you said, that they end up looking at like Morty ends up figuring out, oh, the ones that we only have good memories with aren't real. Mm-hmm. That is kind of, I mean, that's kind of profound. And then he ends up choosing the real people, even though that means a lot of those painful memories. And I was interested to hear why you thought he ended up doing that. Yeah, I, I think it's reminiscent of kind of Morty's arc throughout the entire series, where he's kind of. I think because of the experiences that he's had with Rick and he's become a little bit habituated to the universe kind of being a dark kind of harsh place. I think the universe as a whole in Rick and Morty is a little bit harsher than Earth um, by itself. Uh, At least that's kind of the sense that you get. So I think because of his experiences and exposure to this, he's kind of come to this mindset or he's evolved in a way to kind of accepting reality as just being what it is and he doesn't need to pretend that it's something that it's not and this point is really driven home in the episode where he talks to summer and just kind of points out that you know his dead body is in the backyard and he buried himself and nothing really matters and everything just kind of is it doesn't need meaning um you just sort of give it meaning and so he invites her just to come and watch tv and just enjoy it for what it is and i think that's kind of where he's at as a person is 
he's not expecting things to you know just be good he just accepts them as they are yeah i i think you're absolutely right that he you know he chooses reality over positivity that's not real and maybe also knowing that it's it's parasites right that there's this isn't like a harmless situation that just involves these cool friends like pencil fester <laughs> and tinkles and stuff like that so yeah so i find i find that interesting i also like that morty's the one that figures it out because i think sometimes especially rick treats him like he doesn't he's not really that clever so i kind of like that he's the one who who figures out the pattern mm-hmm. yeah absolutely it is cool when Morty's kind of the one who cracks the the case or cracks the whatever the mystery and you get a little bit more and more of that as the series goes on but um never with any kind of open or explicit you know acknowledgement from Rick exactly anything else about that episode before we go on to the next one I don't think so it has certainly a pretty dark ending um, where Beth mistakes someone who's actually truly a family friend and uh, shoots them. Um, and then he, at the very end, sends her a note that says, I'm sorry that you only had positive memories of us. And uh, kind of a dark turn for Rick and Morty. They like to yes. do that to the viewers. So that was another another example of that. Yeah, of a miss. A, that was a false positive identification. Yes, yes, absolutely. You, you do get those. So, shall we move on to... Episode 5, Get Swifty. Let's do it. Uh, okay. an, another classic uh, episode. Um, this one has some pretty sick music beats. Um, and kind of the premise of the episode is pretty hilarious. So basically, a massive head uh, f- appears over Earth. This is a, an alien species called Cromulon. And uh, they demand to hear an original song. And... Um, Basically, as it turns out, they are part of kind of like a music competition, kind of in the same vein as like American Idol, but it's a planet-wide one, and if you aren't, uh, you know, selected, your planet gets destroyed, I think. So the government calls upon Rick and Morty to save the day, and they do so by developing an awesome improvised song called Get Swifty. So uh, (laughs) things all kind of turn out uh, for Rick and Morty. Um, and uh, actually, they come up with a couple songs. I think Ice T is a part of the episode too. I remember who plays yes. a pivotal role as well. Um, so, and then there's kind of, as always, a, a side story where Jerry and Beth and Summer join a religious cult of people who follow the Cromulans as gods. Yeah. That's right. That's a that's a great summary. So, one thing that I thought I'd mention before we talk about some before we pull out some therapeutic themes from this or some mental health themes just a fun fact have you heard that rick and morty song speaking of songs by run the jewels oh oh uh, uh, yes i did it was shared on facebook a while ago i think by the official rick and morty um uh, uh, page or whatever and i did listen to it at the time yes but i do i want to listen to it again now it's called Oh Mama, and listeners, if you haven't listened to it yet, it's worth listening to. We'll link to it in the show notes. Anyway, moving on to more relevant things other than my side fangirlism. <laughs> one of the things that I, I think, one of the interactions I find interesting is that Summer says, is this God and what's happening? And then Beth says no. And then Jerry says, you know, she can think that if she wants to. And I thought that was an interesting exchange because for Beth, it seems like What's important to her is expressing her opinion of it, maybe taking after Rick in some ways. Mm-hmm. And 
Jerry doesn't just say, oh yeah, it is God or something like that, but says she can think what she wants. There are different, you know, there are different ways to view this type of situation. And so then it, it goes on and, and, and someone asks, you know, do you want to come pray? And B Beth says it doesn't make any sense to pray. But then he says, you know, there's a giant head in the city and that's real weird. Do you think it's a real important time to get super sciency? And then he says, you want to play checkers? Let's be rational. So <laughs> that whole exchange is interesting to me. And I thought we would take that and maybe launch into asking how those those differences in spirituality might play out in therapy. So have you had worked with anyone where their spiritual beliefs have come up as part of the therapy? You know, for everyone who I do um, in, an assessment with or an intake, I always ask uh, um, if they have any spiritual or religious beliefs. And, I, you know, I might ask if there's a certain, you know, if they identify as Christian, a denomination that they um you know follow and how often do they go to church and uh how important are their spiritual views and i've worked with some people who identify very strongly with their spirituality and really connect with their spiritual views um and and beliefs but i haven't had anyone yet in my fairly limited experience as a clinician who wanted to integrate that into the treatment or into the assessment in some way um, oh, I'm, interesting. Yeah, I'm sure it'll happen eventually. And I always ask, is there some part of that that you would like to be, um, you know, integrated in what we do together in, in terms of working together? But no one has, has wanted to, 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 to combine those two things yet. So I don't know if there's something that I need to think about the way that I'm asking or approaching, or if it just hasn't been something that's come up yet in terms of my clinical work. So um, it's certainly something I ask every single person I work with about, though. Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, I think that that's just kind of opening the door that it's okay in the conversation. I wouldn't say that it's come up a lot, but I think that similar to what Summer is doing here and and also the way that what Beth is doing, I mean, their beliefs about how the world work is affecting how they're trying to cope with the situation before them. And so there have been people I've worked with that some of the ways that they cope with things might involve going to church or to a synagogue, um, praying or finding some spiritual passage that helps them. And there sometimes you know, people who are not spiritual, that wouldn't be something that I would recommend for them. The important thing is that the client leads. Often it's looking at other things. Where do they find wisdom? Where do they find connection with others? And so I think that Robert Vore, who we'll, we'll link to his show, actually has a wonderful podcast, CXMH, that talks about this intersection of faith and mental health in various ways. And we'll link to that for any listeners who are interested in, in learning more about that. But the basic gist of it is, like Brandon was saying, you try to understand where the client's coming from, the way that they see things, and try to find within their worldview what will be most helpful with them. There have also been some instances where I've met with people and maybe they interpreted, they had religious beliefs that were a certain way, and then they've started to think about them differently. And there might be some distress associated with some of their interpretations that they had. And so we'll kind of talk through that. And sometimes that it will involve asking them to consult with clergy if they're interpreting something in a way that makes them feel their mental health worse somehow. Like if they, they feel that they're sinful or bad if they're not 
perfect in some way, then sometimes that can be something that's discussed in therapy as well. And here again, I found that working with clergy can be helpful for, for sorting those things out. So I agree with Jerry. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, You know, if that's a position that's comfortable for Summer and helpful for her, then there's probably not any harm in it, especially considering um, if a a gigantic flying head is in the sky, that's a sign that, um, you know, things are weird for sure, as is pointed out by Mr. Goldenfield or Goldenfold, whatever his name is. Yeah. Our mig head on, I think they have on the on the <laughs> the newscast. Yes. So yeah, you do you do what you need to do in that situation. Another little thing, kind of moving to the next topic. This isn't therapeutic, other than that anything Fraser related, I enjoy and that gives me positive emotions. But they had a Fraser joke because they're they're talking about basically, you know, what does the head want? Well, the head wants this hit song as Brandon said and then there's one of the men standing there trying to figure out what to do says oh you mean like Vivaldi and then Rick says no Frasier (laughs) he wants a new song and so I like the little because Frasier probably would suggest Vivaldi or some kind of opera thing so that was kind of another like kind of side tv show reference which I like and then as you mentioned Ice-T they're working with Ice-T to develop their song and they're looking for some mentorship from him, which isn't great. <laughs> they're like playing the song and he's like, it doesn't sound good or something like that. And then Rick and Morty are like, well, why? Is it underdeveloped? Is it overdeveloped? And Ice T's like, underdeveloped, overdeveloped. It doesn't basic, it doesn't matter. Do your thing. I don't want to get my pride wrapped up in your shame. <laughs> so, what do you think that means? He doesn't want to get his pride wrapped up. In their shame, because it feels like it's deep, and yet I can't quite get (laughs) how so. I can parse out any meaning (laughs) in it, and I think that any meaning that might be in it, that's just hidden from me because of my lack of sleep and and just kind of cognitive (laughs) faculties, is quickly undone when you find out that iced tea is quite literally a piece of ice shaped like a tea, and he's an alien species that returns to his planet the alphabetarium i think and uh is able to come out of exile thanks to his father and turns back into his true form that is water tea who is a tea made of water so i i think it's important especially with rick and morty that you don't try to dig too much for the deeper meaning um lest you you kind of find yourself getting too caught up in the machinations of of something that really goes that far off the rails I think that's good advice, and yet I hate to say this, but you walking through that gave me an interpretation. <laughs> okay, I would love to hear it. <laughs> well, okay, so like obviously in this context it's ridiculous, but I think there is some benefit to not having <laughs> to having good boundaries so that like your pride isn't isn't like as a good musician isn't dampened by others shame so like if you're trying to help someone i think it's good to recognize your limits and if you want to protect your pride for example then you might want to say you know like their music is not going to reflect how i feel about myself as an example of course in a way it's it's overdone his boundaries are too rigid because he's not even helping them at all right (laughs) he's not like oh i'm going to try to help you and I'm going to do my best, and then if it doesn't work out, like, I'm not going to feel 
Like, I'm not going to lose any pride about that. He's just like, I don't, like, I'm not, I don't really care. Basically, I'm not going to do it. So I take it back. I think you, you were correct on that one. He's such a classic character, though. He's a classic Wicked it, Marty true. character. It's true. I'm going to work on it, and I'm going to turn this into something that means something, even I'm if it means I'm really nothing. looking forward to a blog post based on that line <laughs> only. I'm going to just... Because, like, can you imagine if someone comes in for therapy or you're teaching and a student is like, you know, how am I doing? Can you give me a little feedback? <laughs> like, like, do your thing. I don't want to get my pride wrapped up in I your mean, shame. Like, that's not great. I'm looking forward to using it, though. I'll be honest. <laughs> at some point, at some time, I'm going to say it. it it's <laughs> not a, in a professional a capacity, but... <laughs> But more like in a friend capacity. Almost so like certainly. If someone asks for your advice, you're just going to like, like they text you and they're like, yes. hey, how do you think I should handle this situation? You're just going to be like, look, do your thing. I don't want to get my pride wrapped up in your shame. That's going to be it. Okay, well, let us know how that goes. I'll check back in. <laughs> and shall we move on to episode six? Let's do it. This is called The Ricks Must Be Crazy. And we've talked about use of the word crazy before we probably don't have to rehash that so much Um, no but we'll just say briefly we don't like it it's stigmatizing language so yep but here we're just reporting the title yep so in this episode basically long story short rick has a car battery in his kind of flying car slash spaceship um inside which he has an entire basically society um that's all kind of working uh, and generating the electricity for his battery and when it stops working rick has to figure out what's going on so he and morty fly down to this miniature universe and fa- find out that they've created a miniature universe that's powering their electricity so they've stopped generating electricity then they all go into that miniature universe again and uh eventually then kind of things fall apart a little bit um and it's it's wild rick and morty kind of join like uh some weird uh like life forms in this like third mini universe and it's very strange and basically on the outside things are going very strange to you where the car is in keep summer safe mode and is like really doing terrible stuff to the people around the car while summer waits it's a weird episode for sure there's no mental health you said that one thing you said when we we're just talking about this beforehand that i think is true is that you were just saying it just kind of shows more of Rick's personality, which we've discussed on yeah. the show, his personality features. Basically, sensation-seeking, self-focused, callous. So those are all still there. Yep. I mean, he has an entire little miniature universe that he used to generate electricity. And then when he fe- realizes that miniature universe is using a more miniature universe to generate electricity, he's, like, greatly offended. And he can't believe that they would do that, which is very bizarre. Yeah, so that's interesting because he has something in there where Morty has a quote, right? And, yes. And then, and I, I didn't write it exactly down. I don't know if you have it, but it's a quote and it's, and it's about slavery. It's like a serious quote. And then Rick criticizes him for it, but then Rick repeats it. And it, yes. it's like, to him, it applies in the situation because it's different somehow. And it, that's where it kind of shows like he's not he doesn't really take other people's perspectives. It's all about like kind of what he wants to do. And, and when he wants to deploy that framework as it suits him, basically. Yeah. It really highlights the narcissism where his outrage was really specifically in response to his own personal loss, not the actual reality of the situation. 
because he totally. he lost his electricity. Yeah, he it, he didn't care about the universe being um, you know manipulated for electricity. He was mad that his car battery wasn't working any longer. Yep, ex- exactly. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's all I had about that. But yeah, it does really show. And we'll link to the awesome analysis that you did, the blog post that goes further into his personality. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. But that's really kind of it for that episode. The -hmm. car engages in some, I think it calls it like psychological defenses and like uses one of the police officers like deceased children against him. It's very bizarre and disheartening. Yeah, it's not great for sure. Um, So probably don't need to kind of go into that too much, but it's, it's pretty bizarre. So what you said is so true, though, is that, like, if, if you're just watching the show and not in a podcast way, you're just like, okay, weird show that's funny and clever. And some of the writing is just amazing. The characters are really interesting. But then when we kind of put on our kind of professional mental health psychology lens, it, you kind of look at it a little bit differently. I would yeah. Say. It's, what, it's when you get to that point that you realize you're going to talk about this. And it's going to go on the internet that you're just like, some of this show's really, really weird. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely true. Speaking of weird, <laughs> shall we move on to episode seven, Big Trouble and Little Sanchez? Let's do it. This is a, one, a, another really popular episode because it features Tiny Rick. Tiny Rick is when Rick transfers his mind into a teenaged clone of himself because he wants to help Morty and Summer kill a vampire that's at his school. And this little kind of tiny Rick is super popular. Um, but some kind of weird stuff starts happening where he's like subconsciously crying for help um, in his songs and his dances and his drawings. And it's very bizarre. And no one really seems to notice except for Summer, I think. But basically, that keeps kind of going on. That's the one storyline. As usual, there's two storylines. Jerry and Beth are going through couples therapy, but they're on an alien planet, which basically uh, incorporates technology where you experience manifestations of each other based on your partner's perception of yourself. So Jerry is kind of this little like worm, basically, and Beth is kind of this huge, hostile, kind of xenomorph kind of thing almost like in the alien series and it's it's also very pretty bizarre but it's one of few depictions of some type of therapy um, in the show which of course this is a little bit different type of therapy than what we have here on earth yes and there are some funny quotes about that that i thought i'd bring up that basically it starts off with beth and jerry fighting and morty seems a little upset by it whereas summer doesn't seem as upset and Rick's kind of just like, are you guys going to fix your problems or get a divorce? Like, do whatever. But, like, basically just seems kind of annoyed. And then Jerry says that they... Well, the, the thing they're fighting about is interesting. It's basically Beth says that he wasn't paying attention while they were talking about vampires. I think he's looking... Isn't he looking at his phone or a tablet or something like that? I think he's actually playing a little bubble pop game. That is a real game that the Rick and Morty people made um, for iPhones. Yeah. And you just pop bubbles. That's all you do. There's no way to win it or anything. Yeah. (laughs) That's like Mr. Belvedere is to me. That is to you. So each of us gets some part of the references there. That's cool. So, So basically then Jerry says that they've tried couples therapy. And so then Rick says... Yeah, but that's earth therapy. That's like trying to ask a horse to fix a merry-go-round. I mean, he'll try his best, but at most he's just going to get horrified. (laughs) (laughs) Which, (laughs) 
is a good Rick line. <laughs> and then he he talks about how good these couples therapists are and says they could save a marriage of a dog and a bar of dark chocolate. <laughs> so it's just, it's full of that. So anyway, yeah, like you said, it's interesting because they have these mythologues that look like you, they take it from their brain exactly like what, what, how Summer sees Jerry and how Jerry sees Summer and then, or not Summer, sorry, Beth. Yep. And then they, um, they try, they have to actually work as a team to figure out how to stay safe because the mythologues are attacking each other. And yeah. I don't know, I guess that's the therapy, which is interesting. And I, so like, if you look at the big picture, obviously none of that mythologue stuff is accurate, but the big picture of this idea <laughs> of like, let's put the problems in front of us and work together to solve them rather than like just arguing back and forth about who's right and who's wrong and whose perception of who is accurate and all that stuff. And so it ends up being that because Beth is hooked up to the machine, she pictures an idealized Jerry, and then Jerry puts the machine on the idealized Jerry who pictures who he knows. This is too many layers that it's yep. not going to make sense. But So he knows that in her mind, the idealized Jerry thinks of Beth as a goddess, and so then the goddess comes and kills the evil bug-like creature that was originally there. And so... Beth seems really happy, basically because Jerry shows this intellect and figuring it out, and also some understanding of her. And then they kind of, but that's kind of a theme, though, is that she feels like she's smarter than him, Mm -hmm. and she kind of tricks him, and that felt kind of mean. And even when he says something at the end, basically trying to, like, she's trying to overlook his lack of intellect, because that's what she finds really attractive ab- about him, that he has figured out this puzzle. Because, again, it is understanding, but she also insults his intelligence, right? Like, she says that their kids are only smart because of Rick and her mm-hmm. genes being passed on. So, anyway, I thought that was kind of a mean part of it, is the, the intellect part. But it was an interesting idea of the couple's therapy being like, this is your perceptions of each other, and then having to work together to get through that. Yeah, absolutely. It's an it's definitely a neat episode, and you start to see some of the Beth taking after Rick a little bit in terms of kind of her estimation of her intelligence in relation to other people, which isn't to say she's not intelligent, but like she's putting Jerry down because she feels like she's smarter than him, and that's a very Rick thing to do. Yeah, and it's this weird theme throughout all the different episodes where they'll have times when it's like, because just a few episodes prior, it's like they show, they make a big deal out of the fact that, of saying, it's not just because you got pregnant and that we have kids that were together, we actually really love each other. And then they kind of like fall outside of that again. And then at the end, mm-hmm. kind of classic Rick, when he gets them, Jerry points out, oh, there are two parallel storylines going on because Rick says, don't mind the bunch of like dead Ricks or whatever, multiple Ricks that they're are going to be in the garage or whatever it is. And then Beth and Jerry are like, yeah, we had multiple versions of us too that were killed. He just notes, oh, this is the similar theme. And and Rick is like, no, it's a cosmetic thing that your brain sees as a theme. Like, he doesn't have to do that. And that's kind of the part where he just really messes with people. Like, Jerry's saying something that's accurate, and he's like, no, that's not accurate, you know? That's kind of the Beth and jerry couples storyline what did you think about the little rick storyline uh the little rick storyline was kind of bizarre right um 
it so on the one hand i thought it was kind of interesting like his little songs and he'd be like i i wish i could remember the one it's so catchy it's like this is not a dance i'm asking for help or something Uh, yeah which was kind of weird and catchy um but it is kind of it was interesting to see rick kind of come around and like uh, except like, like yeah he's getting older and that's okay and trying to clone his himself so he can stay young or be immortal is probably not a great idea at this point and get rid of all of the cloned bodies he had um that was kind of interesting i suppose but it was definitely pretty bizarre um i don't know the little rick character is pretty hilarious just like super popular and a lot of in a lot of ways really the opposite of rick and kind of happy and gets along with people um, but ultimately is not okay and Rick wasn't okay. So I don't know, pretty interesting. And one of the things that I thought was weird and also cool is that Summer, to have a slight music detour real quick again, so Summer, the way that she gets Tiny Rick to kind of understand what he needs to do and kind of kill the, or get back into old Rick's body and all that stuff, is she's playing Elliot Smith, apparently a song called Between the Bars, and are have you heard much Elliot No, Smith? I haven't. So, it's an interesting choice. I love Elliot Smith's music. I first heard it in Goodwill Hunting, I think, because they use his song Misery in that, which is a really, I mean, all of the songs, they were kind of, they're, they're sad songs. And Elliot Smith actually died by suicide in 2003, and he was young, he was 34. You know, so the music is kind of before present time. It has this very specific emotional, psychological tone to it. The this, this is actually called Miss Misery, sorry, I, I mistook that. That's, um, the one that's in Goodwill Hunting. And so I I wondered what it was about that song that was able to bring him back. But you do see that theme of this, I don't know, I guess this kind of uh, sadness, again, bringing people back to reality, kind of where we started off with our the first episode we talked about today. Absolutely, yeah. It kind of comes full circle where it's someone who has this opportunity to kind of have this fake um false but happier existence but really kind of um pushes against that um to accept the reality of the situation this is where i feel we really live up to that like existential existential yeah discussion when they're faced with these types of things and i just looked up the between the bars lyrics for elliot smith to see if it gave any clues it doesn't necessarily stand out to me. I'd have to think about it. Kind of like that iced tea quote, I might come up with something that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so I'll save that for off the air. Sounds good. <laughs> in, my, in my spare time. Anything else about that episode we should talk about? I don't think so. I mean, it's another weird episode with uh, Rick kind of doubting the impact of therapy, I suppose. Totally. Mm. And we definitely see that reemerge. He doubts earth therapy. Yes, earth therapy specifically. So... When we as therapists really start to embrace intergalactic treatment modalities, Rick will be more interested. And the, the thing is, like, the therapists don't, it's not like they, they do anything. They just attach the things to their brain. I mean, that counts as something, but it's not like they're sitting there having them talk through stuff. They create an experience for them that yes. seems to help them out. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. So I guess therapists do that, and it's a powerful experience. It's that's yeah, for sure. you can't really doubt that part. It, it's impactful for sure. Okay, well, we have covered four episodes today for season two. It's a it's a record for sure. Thank you so much for tuning in for another one of our classic Rick Essential podcast episodes. 